0: My friends, it's good to be back. Ryan Jesperson here with you on this Monday morning, March 29th. After a week away from studio, it's good to have you all back with us this morning for another edition of Real Talk. Hanging out with our technical producer, Samuel G. Brooks. Hey, hey, good morning. Because we absolutely believe that birthdays can be a week-long celebration. Technically, (laughs) Sam, you remain... The birthday boy on the record a belated happy birthday to you.
1: Oh, thank you so much. And How I was your pre- week away? I appreciated the uh, the virtual shout out you gave me when I was when I was on, on the day My week away was good. It was uh, you know I, I'd sort of famously told everybody I was gonna be doing drywalling before that and I've, I've actually accomplished everything but drywalling That's okay. Uh, you know you live in an old house you, you dig into a wall and you find the bottom step of your stairs is rotted out So you have to fix that and then mm-hmm. you have to move some plumbing out of the way and then you have to move some wiring around And I mean that was my whole week
0: basically. Okay, so it's it's one of those Weeks where you have, I mean, it sounds to me like ample opportunity to relax, and you took none of that opportunity to relax. I took yesterday to relax. Yesterday, well, that's good. A day of rest it was Sunday <laughs> on the seventh
1: day. He rested <laughs> that's good.
0: Well, we're uh, yeah, you, you see the, the pastor of Grace Life Church back at it yesterday out of jail and back at it Speaking of with, you know, the
1: most slap on the wrist you could possibly give him. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm,
0: I'm curious to know how real talkers are gonna feel about that. We uh, That's a story that we've been keeping an eye on here uh, for obvious reasons. It's a story of I think national prominence Uh, As congregants refused to respect uh, public health orders at this church west of Edmonton, uh, packing it, absolutely packing it uh, to capacity Uh, each and every Sunday. Their pastor had 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 been sitting in jail uh, for a number of weeks because he refused to comply with the terms of his release, which would have been that he was not going to bring hundreds and hundreds of people together to gather again, uh, which he refused to do. He said, I'm not I'm not going to make a promise there. Well, he's out. And he's back at it and the rcmp are back outside the church alberta health services saying they're not letting us in they're saying we're, we're, we're working together we're trying to ask set, set a statement from alberta health services yesterday ahs has extended an offer to meet virtually with representatives from the church to discuss the surge in covid cases and answer any questions about the current restrictions. There are no they have no questions about the current restrictions. They have they have no quest. There's no there's no communication breakdown. There's no confusion. There's no obfuscation. There's no flying through the clouds. Uncertain is oh, our mistake. Our mistake. We thought that when you said that our capacity was capped at 92 people, which would be 15% of, of fire code. We, yeah, we misunderstood that and so that's why we've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people here every single week There's no confusion and now people are rightfully looking around saying well if they don't have to follow the rules and if there's no consequences for Blatantly, I mean we're not we're not talking like, you know Someone might have a few people over to their house and you got to keep it down in case the neighbors here and call the cops The cops are parked outside the church This is the most blatant Uh, wanton disregard for public health measures probably uh, i mean well it's among those the most blatant disregard for public health measures across the country so people now we're going to sit here and you you sort of wonder what that rub-off effect is we'll be talking this week i mean we've got a lot of news to catch up on i should note that the federal environment minister is going to join us in in probably three minutes time We'll talk about the as they will describe it, the federal government's win at the Supreme Court with regards to the carbon tax. If you're talking to any members or elected representatives from provincial governments in Ontario, Saskatchewan and, and, and Alberta today, they will describe it as the loss uh, at the uh, at the Supreme Court around the carbon tax. We've got to talk about the 60 million dollar fine handed to tech resources. We've got to talk about the fact that ever given is free in the Suez Canal, they believe that goods will be moving again today. Sam, this is a huge deal. Did you uh, did you keep tabs on the website? Is the ship still stuck? Dot com? <laughs> was, was it just updates? Yes. It, yes. Yeah. It literally yes. just said
1: at the top, yes or no, and here's some books you should read.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is moving today, which is good news for everybody. Uh, it it was it was one of those stories where it was, I mean, deadly serious for people with regards to how it how it halts an economy. I mean, people, you know, i mean it 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 what it the impact that it has on global trade is unbelievable. Uh, to try to stop that thing But you you saw these guys Running these backhoes These tiny little backhoes Well they looked tiny This is like This like The biggest container ship In the world Yeah honestly It looked
1: It looked like When I would have like I don't know Like a Well like a Like a plastic ship In the sandbox And then I'd bring The tiny little digger in Beside it That yeah. kind of thing Like it actually looked Very sandbox Box-esque The way that it was going And And if you're
0: Operating that backhoe, you're probably actually feeling like you've got a pretty cool gig. You've also probably got a a bit of a sense that the world is watching and uh, and cheering you on and hoping that you can get the job done as soon as humanly possible. We'll be curious to see what those that are tuning in live this morning. You're either listening to a stream uh, through the Mixler Audio app, or you're watching us live on YouTube this morning. We'll be curious to know what you have to say on the news of the day, and of course, we'll get into some of your emails. Many of you took the opportunity to, to write into the show while we were off, which was great. It was great to have the hashtag #RealTalkRJ continuing to see some action on Twitter. And of course, we're never totally out of it. So we were paying attention to what was arriving in our inbox. Kim took a, a minute to write into us uh, just a couple of days ago on Saturday to talk at Ryan dot com. Kim said, you know, I'm, I'm interested in the week to come and hearing some uh, some some solutions, some proposed solutions to some of the issues plaguing Alberta and Canada. What would our medical experts recommend in regards to decreasing COVID-19 numbers, especially as the amount of variant cases increase? Was opening bars really such a smart move, asks Kim. Kim, Thursday at 9, we've got a panel coming up. It's going to be a good one. She wonders what can be done about Jason Kenny's leadership folly. You know, I mean, is there hope that he could be influenced positively? How does one play to his ego in order to convince him to do what's right for Albertans? Interesting question from Kim. She says, now, Alberta's premier will obviously not accept Rachel Notley's carbon tax plan. So what would be the best made in Alberta solution and why? Where did former Premier Notley's plan fall short? How could it be improved by the conservatives for the best interests of Albertans? I love the question. We're going to ask that. Uh, Kim will ask your question specifically to Dr. Andrew Leach. Um, he'll he'll clarify that he's not a lawyer, but he's been going through the process. But he is an economist, and he's a professor at the Alberta School of Business. He'll join us in about a half an hour's time. He's got uh, – Dr. Leach is in uh, – I Sam, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter. Dr. Leach is in an interesting position because he is – And we'll get him to clarify. We'll get him to give us all the details when he joins us in about a half hour. But he's essentially one of the, if not the architect of Rachel Notley's climate plan. Yeah, he was one of the let's call him the senior architects of the climate plan. He also supported or supports the Alberta government joining Saskatchewan and Ontario in suing the feds, running it all the way up to the Supreme Court. The look on your face if we take the Uncle Sam cam... I'm a little perplexed by can, that. Can you replay that the look on the face? All right, so so you just... I you said, said so, so he so he supports the court challenge. Err. And Sam gave the err. That, that's about the look that I get, yeah. <laughs> so we're going to find out why. And I'm going to be, you know, Dr. Leach is smarter than me, so we'll ask him to dumb it down for us and help us understand how the architect of Notley's plan thinks that Kenny was right to run it up to the Supreme Court. That's coming up in about a half an hour. Uh, kim goes on to say that's it for now as long as we can solve the pandemic and alberta's leadership and the carbon tax plan that'll be it for this week says kim with a smile on her face she says thanks for taking the time off it gave me a chance to catch up on past episodes please take vacation again but not too often not from kim kim we promise and thank you for being in touch this show and all of our shows are proudly presented by our title sponsor, the team at Bitcoin. Well, you know, they're working with individuals that are, that are trying to figure out their game plan, how they're going to approach crypto, if at all, if it's a good fit for them. But they also work with businesses. Whether it's a small business or a larger one, if financial sovereignty is your end goal, I mean, if ultimately that's why you're working so hard, have you considered how crypto might fit into that? The team at BitcoinWell is ready to talk to you anytime and meet you wherever you're at with regards to your understanding of where this is all going. You can find them right at the top of the page, the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com.
2: Real Talk
3: starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
0: So, of course, the Supreme Court of Canada uh, ruling that a national price on pollution, a federal carbon tax, does not equal overreach when it comes to areas of provincial jurisdiction like taxation i have no doubt that our first guest this morning will will perceive the supreme court's ruling as a win he is canada's minister of the environment and climate change the honorable jonathan wilkinson minister thanks for making time for us and welcome to real talk thank you that probably feels like a win obviously for the federal government here
2: Well, I don't know about a win. I mean, I I think uh, certainly we are pleased that the Supreme Court has decided on the jurisdictional issue so that hopefully we can move past the legal wrangling and focus on what I think all Canadians want us to focus on, which is how do we address climate change, which is real um, in a manner that uh, that will be responsive and thoughtful to build regional economies that are strong and create jobs.
0: So, you know, people that would argue, including lawyers for for Alberta and Saskatchewan, Ontario, that this is overreach by the feds, that this is treading on these provinces constitutional right to determine their own taxation or impose their own taxation in areas like this. I mean, what's the layperson's argument against that?
2: Well, I just fundamentally don't accept that. I mean, this is this is a court decision based on the peace order and good government clause, which has been part of the Constitution since 1867. Um, it is based on the doctrine of national concern, which is some issues actually have national dimensions and therefore are the properly the, uh, the jurisdiction of the federal government. That's not new. Um, and, and it's written very narrowly to focus on this specific issue. And I mean, come on, I mean, reasonable people will understand that if, if climate change, uh, which is something that certainly carbon emissions know no borders, if this is not something of national concern, what is
0: Do you see this as I might be getting ahead of myself in our conversation, but do you see this as the end of the fight between the provinces and the feds over this? Or do you see this as the end of the first fight and the beginning of a bigger one? Because I know that I mean, the federal government should probably go to this first, but I know this this empowers you to 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 you know bolster canada's commitment to exceed as you've said in the interviews canada's commitment to the paris accord do you see this as the end of the fight with the provinces or are you bracing for just the next level
2: well i certainly hope this is the end of the fight i mean canada works best when the federal and provincial governments find ways to collaborate on areas where we have common interests and and that is certainly what i want to do i i honestly think that the the difference here is a bit overblown i mean I mean, take Alberta. Alberta was a trailblazer in terms of carbon pricing. It was one of the first provinces that put a carbon price on industrial emitters. Um, and, uh, and there are many other areas in the climate plan where we have been and will be actively collaborating with Alberta and Saskatchewan on things like carbon capture and storage and hydrogen development, biofuels, methane related technologies, advanced materials for, uh, for additional uses of bitumen in the future. Renewable energy, Alberta is projected to be the fastest growing jurisdiction in terms of renewable energy. We want to work on all of those things to ensure that we're building strong regional economies. But we also want to ensure that we are reducing uh, carbon emissions in the most effective way possible. And look, 99 out of 100 economists will tell you the pricing on pollution is the most efficient way to reduce carbon emissions in a manner that actually incents innovation. That's what we want to do. We want to create jobs. We want to reduce emissions.
0: So, Minister, you got I mean, I would imagine you're probably going to get different justifications for for a legal fight or, or different arguments out of you would in you know urban ontario than you may from rural alberta to state the obvious a, a lot of I think that the, the sort of disgruntled uh, approach to carbon pricing comes from as, as far as I can tell in a lot of cases uh, people that are working in ag farmers rural residents people in 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 I mean I don't have to tell you about the climate here and and people talk about you know oftentimes politicians will will invoke you know people heating their homes right or people taking their kids to school that sort of everyday thing that's not a choice for somebody somebody doesn't choose whether or not they heat their home you get what i'm getting at i've got relatives that talk about you know the price of drying grain using natural gas and now it's just astronomical under this carbon tax and the government doesn't seem to be listening there can the federal government do a better job of understanding some of the regional or industry specific pushback against this federal carbon tax and, and are you open to to tweaking it to to as As either a show of good faith or getting more Canadians on board with the theory behind it or how it's applied?
2: Well, I think certainly um, there probably are ways in which we need to communicate more effectively. I, I don't don't uh, don't discount that at all. and And there probably are areas that it can be tweaked to ensure that we're addressing some of the particular concerns. Let me start with consumers. Um, So uh, so, you know, one of the things that I think sometimes politicians who are opposed to the price on pollution neglect to say is that the average family um, gets more money back than they pay in the price. So the rebates actually for the majority of families in Alberta get more money back than they pay Um, The second issue is, you know, the rural areas sometimes have higher costs. I'm very sensitive to that. I grew up in Saskatchewan. I used to work for the province of Saskatchewan, Uh, very similar in terms of the topography, Um, that uh, there is uh, an incremental amount of money, uh, a 10% boost that actually goes to rural people in terms of the rebates to try to accommodate that. Should that number be higher? Perhaps, um, and that's one of the reasons why some provinces decide to put in place their own price on pollution so that they can actually customize it to, uh, to their particular circumstances. In terms of some groups, I mean, the farming community in particular, uh, I think there is some thought, and we've actually said this uh, publicly, um, in terms of grain drying and, and on-firm farm use of, of uh, gaseous fuels, because liquid fuels are exempt. Looking at whether there should be some kind of a rebate like what we do with consumers. Um, so there's still an incentive to try to find higher, you know, to use higher efficiency grain drives, for example, um, or to think about heating your uh, your property by using heat pumps instead of uh, natural gas. Um, But you get a rebate such that the affordability issue is less than what it has. been. So, yes, absolutely. We're listening and we probably also need to communicate. But I would also tell you that some politicians like Aaron O'Toole telling you that somehow this is a, a price on poor people. They're just telling you something that's just not true.
0: When you say just not true, you're pointing back to the rebates. Is that how you would dismiss that? The rebates. I
2: mean, the Parliamentary Budget Officer released a report on this, and what it showed is between 60 and 80% of Canadian families get more money back than they pay, and it works in reverse to income. So the folks that actually earn less than $100,000 a year typically are better off. Mm. The only people that actually pay a little bit more than what they get back in the rebate are people who have very, very large homes, drive very, very inefficient cars, et cetera.
0: Can I just, like, just to be candid for a second? That's one of the things that I find weird as a civilian. I'm not a politician, I'm not an economist, I don't read legislation. But I when I look at and, and, and government officials like yourselves, that'll say, hey, listen, most people get back more than what they pay in. And then I sit there and I the, the civilian in me goes, well, then what the hell's the point? Like my whole yeah. under, my whole understanding of this whole thing is that it's supposed to be funding green initiatives and transit and 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 sort of like, you know, subsidies for people that can install solar into their whatever the case may be. There's a 100 different applications to, to, to sort of spin it as, well, most people get back more than they pay in. I go, well, the, it kind of to me. It almost to me, it almost validates the assertion that that it's a wealth redistribution tax. And I mean, typically people will say, well, that's the tinfoil hat response to this. But when it when the carbon tax is justified in such a way that people make money off it, that actually turns me off, to be honest.
2: (laughs) So fair enough. Um, And I would tell you, there are some provinces that use some of the proceeds from the way in which they price to invest in green initiatives and those kinds of things. And certainly the industrial emitters, uh, that's exactly how it works. But for the average Canadian, this is not about raising revenue for the government. Um, This is actually about ensuring that we are creating a price signal. So when the price of of, uh, the gasoline that you're going to fuel your car uh, um, up with goes up, what does it cause you to do? It causes you to think about, well, maybe the next time I actually buy a car, I should buy one that actually gets better gas mileage. Or maybe I should, if I live in an urban area, take the bus more often. Um, The same thing is true with your house. You know, should I put better insulation in the house to reduce the heating bill for natural gas by returning the money in a rebate? You don't defeat the price signal. You don't defeat the uh, the incentive to uh, to be more efficient in terms of your use of carbon emitting fuels. Um, but what you do do is you ensure that it can be affordable for people, that it actually doesn't hit them in the pocketbook, especially lower income people. And that's the point.
0: Minister, can you give us a sense of what what conversation with industry looks like here? I would I, Specifically, w- when we talk oil and gas, I would imagine that I mean, I, again, I'm not a CEO, but I would imagine that at least the Supreme Court decision provides some some form of certainty or at least you know, executives can understand what the landscape looks like right now as they try to decide where assets will be allocated and what will be written down and what won't be, etc. We're also, of course, paying varying degrees of attention to line five right now and and some uh, sort of approaching that with some trepidation. You wonder if if news like this may resonate in a positive way. I mean, are you having these conversations with industry leaders?
2: Well, we're absolutely. I mean, we're talking to industry leaders all the time, and and I would tell you that industry leaders in Alberta, in particular, and and in the energy sector, in particular, are far ahead of their government on this. Um, you know, most of the large uh, oil and gas companies in Calgary have uh, have already committed to net zero by twenty fifty. They have aggressive emissions reduction plans between now and twenty thirty. Um, and and they recognize that they actually need to, to work to transform their business um, to be to be essentially keeping up with where the world is going to have access to capital on a go forward basis when capital is now being allocated. One of the bases of it is is uh, your willingness and ability to reduce carbon emissions. So. You know, we have very, very thoughtful and productive conversations with the, the energy industry. And in fact, many in the energy industry are certainly in favor, very much in favor of a price on pollution. Some of these companies have been using an internal price on pollution far longer than there's been uh, an explicit price on pollution in uh, in the country. So absolutely. Uh, I, you know, it's a very progressive industry in this country.
0: So when we talk about regional strategies for, for job creation or for, for economic stimulus, um, you know, we, we do what we might describe as a national talk show, but the fact of the matter is we have a ton of people that are the majority of people tune in from Western Canada. So yeah. what's the message specifically to those, let's say, on the prairies in Alberta and Saskatchewan, two of the three provinces that challenged this, that ran this up to Canada's highest court with regards to what the federal government is looking at for regional strategies for job creation and economic stimulus?
2: Yeah, and that's a great question, um, and that is something that that I worked on pretty hard in developing the new climate plan for Canada that we put out in December. Um, I do think that you have to have regional strategies, economic strategies in a country like this, that the interests and the needs of Atlantic Canada are quite different from the prairies, and the needs and, and aspirations of Quebec are quite different from British Columbia. The prairies, actually, I would tell you, have enormous opportunity going forward to a much lower carbon universe. There's certainly a lot of activity in Alberta right now around hydrogen, certainly in the Heartland area. There's a lot of excitement about hydrogen as both an energy carrier for domestic use, but also as an export product. Biofuels, which will have enormous upside for the agriculture community. Carbon capture and sequestration, where Canada is a leader in that and could end up exporting that technology around the world, but it will also help us to reduce carbon emissions you know even the methane reduction technologies that are being developed to actually help us reduce methane emissions have an opportunity to be an export product you know advanced materials as i said before in terms of uh, additional uses of uh, of the oil resource in in alberta and, uh, and a range of other things. So, you know, those are the kinds of conversations that, uh, that we need to be having going forward. I, I would actually tell you, I talked to Jason Nixon quite a lot um, and, and by and large on issues like this, there, we have no disagreement. Um, and in fact, you know, we, we are trying to find pathways to work together on a whole bunch of these things. So again, we have a difference on the consumer price on, on pollution. I wouldn't say on the price on pollution, because as I said before, Alberta was a trailblazer in terms of pricing emissions from industrial emitters in uh, in that province. Um, but we have all kinds of things on which we do agree, and I think we can work on to ensure that we're developing the economy of the future on the prairies in British Columbia and Ontario in Quebec and elsewhere.
0: Of course, Jason Nixon, Alberta's Minister of Environment and Parks. Have you have you talked to Minister Nixon about the provincial government's approach to to coal mining? I mean, this is such a powder keg kind of a story. Um, but I don't have to tell you what's, what's happened. Essentially, you know, rolling back the coal policy, re-implementing the coal policy, reconsidering some of the leases. Uh, we get a ton of letters when we announced that you were going to be on the show today. We got a ton of emails from people saying, please ask the federal minister why there haven't been stop work orders issued for exploration activity that's happening right now in areas where where c- civilians or engaged citizens allege uh, that it should not be occurring right now. This is uh, the type of issue that I don't think really was an issue for many Albertans, at least it wasn't on their radar until country music stars and tacos talk started talking about it. Then, of course, we see here that that tech resources find 60 million dollars for releasing chemicals, including selenium into the water back in 2012, took about eight or nine years to get that figured out in court. I mean, You talk about coal in Alberta right now. I'll tell you, Minister, if if, if there was a word cloud about the emails we get from our listeners, coal would be right there, huge, right in the middle. That's got to be on your radar. Have you talked to Minister Nixon about that?
2: Well, I haven't talked to him in the last little while about it, but certainly the issue has come up in conversations. I mean, you know, this issue around the eastern slopes, um, I I do understand how controversial that has been in Alberta. land use decisions in terms of opening it up uh, for development and then deciding to to not open it up uh, are, are solely the purview of the provincial government. That would be federal overreach um, to, uh, for the federal government to, to start to, to, to play a role in land use decisions. I think the one thing that I have said is this is an area where ecosystems are tend to be still pretty much intact. We are very much focused as a federal government on trying to actually ensure that we're protecting intact ecosystems as part of trying to stem the decline in biodiversity in this country. Um, and so you know when the decision was made to open it up, I, I think you know I saw that as something that that uh, created some real challenges from, from a biodiversity perspective. In terms of the federal role in coal mining um, in, in the mining of metallurgical coal in particular, um, the federal government gets involved if there is a decision to, uh, to move forward with a particular mine. As long as it's of a certain size and the federal government can run its own environmental assessment uh, along with the provincial one but until that point there's really no federal role so i understand the uh, the concern and certainly issues around selenium are very top of mind we are actually developing regulations about what can be discharged and what can't with respect to selenium from existing and future coal mines right now it is a real issue. It is something that we need to be sensitive to, and there will have to be more done with respect to selenium going forward for all coal mines.
0: So people will wonder. To bring this conversation full circle, what this means right now the the uh, the carbon levy, the federal carbon tax, right now. I feel stupid. I don't remember. Is it thirty bucks a ton right now? I think it's thirty. Right going to forty?
2: Uh, well in a few days, so yeah, yeah. so
0: well, let's call it 40 then Um, to give people a sense comparatively by 2030, you know, so nine years from now, the federal government has it at 170, so it's 400% essentially of where it's at right now. Um, What does that mean for consumers with regards? I mean, the federal government to a certain degree is expecting some rapid action, right? Relatively speaking, on an individual level, from people, I mean, if people put it this way, frankly, if people are bitching about it now, uh, when it's four times what it's about to be, uh, I would imagine the voices will be louder and louder unless something dramatic changes. What do the next nine years look like, do you think? Most especially following this court decision.
2: Well, the price will go up, um, but so will the rebate. Um, And so so from a net net perspective, again, the majority of Albertan families and the majority of Canadian families where the federal system applies will actually be better off. They they won't be worse off, but they will have a strong incentive to make their homes more energy efficient, to uh, to think about transportation and how they make the transportation they use more energy efficient. Um, certainly, the industrial price will push forward the deployment of things like carbon capture and storage. It will push forward the use of alternative fuels like hydrogen and biofuels, which will be good for the economy of Alberta. Um, and so, you know I think that what what we will start to see is uh, you know, Canada's emissions levels going down for the first time in uh, in many, many years. Um, and uh, and and starting to see the development of economies that actually are based on a low carbon future that we are going to be competing in with our American friends and with countries around the world.
0: Let me ask this: I've just Minister, we'll make this last question. I know you've got a jet, so do we uh, just got this in from Keith, who's listening. Keith is the chef and owner of Roy's Place Restaurant. Uh, lives in the the riding of Livingstone-McLeod. Uh, He was featured in You Gotta Eat Here. So this guy knows what he's talking about on the restaurant side. Apparently, he's got a hell of a cinnamon bun that he does there at Roy's Place. He says, we understand. So he's a chef and he's an entrepreneur. He says, we understand that change is necessary. He says, small businesses like my restaurant depend heavily on natural gas and costs are challenging. He says, I might have a gross profit of five to seven percent. He says, you know, one percent cost increase to me is a 20 percent loss of profit. He says we want to work to improve, but gas cooking, for example, on an industrial level is just we can't make a move in that department right now. He says, you know, building heating and air rotation is in much higher need in businesses like mine. Then you add in the deficit of covid and it creates a mental health twitch just listening to this conversation. I mean, that's one guy's story. That's one guy's business. But how does that resonate with you as the federal minister?
2: Well, I think those are very legitimate questions and concerns to raise. Um, and uh, and what I would say is a couple of things. I mean, the first is the reality of climate change is the reality of climate change. Like that's not going away. Um, and so the need to address it is uh, is with us today and will continue to be with us tomorrow. But um, But I would also say that the way in which we address it has to be done thoughtfully. We do need to move away from carbon-based fuels or the combustion of carbon-based fuels. And we need to we become more energy efficient as we actually move forward. Um, we need to, government needs to partner, uh, to be a partner with small and medium-sized enterprises to how those get done. And certainly we are looking at bringing forward um, ideas about how we can work with small and medium-sized enterprises to help with that, to help reduce the exposure to the price on pollution by enhancing energy efficiency, by looking at new technologies. Um, and certainly, you know, I, I would simply say that is exactly the conversation that we need to engage with with folks like him,
0: Minister. We appreciate your time today. Uh, the Honorable Jonathan Wilkinson, Canada's Minister of the Environment and Climate Change. Thanks for swinging by, Real Talk.
2: Great, thank you.
0: You bet. Real Talkers, we're keeping an eye on our uh, live chat right now. What well, you have to say on this, you can of course hit us up on the hashtag #RealTalkRJ on Twitter. That's where Chef got us there. Uh, appreciate him chiming in. The, the, the specifics. Means something to me. Hey Sam, when somebody writes in and says, "Here's specifically," right? I, I remember when my cousin Corey shared with me. He scanned, or he, you know, he took a screenshot of his natural gas bill from the farm. This was about a year or two ago, and he sent it to me. and He said, "Here's some like real dollars. Here's some real numbers, so you can process this." I think for people, it makes sense to know how much does it, you know, when the carbon tax goes up. What does that mean for you with regards to how many more cents? Or how many more dollars per tank of gas, as an example, or per month on your home heating bill? That's how people can process
4: it.
1: Yeah, I think so. I also think that, like, I'm feeling a little bit of a disconnect on this situation. And and I think part of it is, like, you know, I, I want to start off by saying that, like, writ large, based on economic data, based on lots of research, based on lots of interviews, and quite frankly, based on the way that the world is shifting, carbon pricing is probably one of the most effective tools we have to reduce emissions. Sure, like, I one think of, that yeah. I'm quite in favor of some sort of a robust carbon pricing structure. And yes, that should extend to consumers. It should. It should affect the price of gas. However, I have a problem when governments say, oh, don't worry, you're going to get it back in a rebate, because rebates assume you have money up front. When you are somebody that is told you have to pay this cost up front, but you'll get it back with your taxes la- later, if you're like you or me and you live comfortably in a house with a pretty good income, that's something that you can absorb and, and ride it out until the tax check comes back. If you are paycheck to paycheck and you're driving an old, inefficient car because you can't afford anything newer, mm-hmm. and you live in an area of the cities that's poorly serviced by transit, and you don't have a lot of options, and you have to pay this, this hits your cash flow on a regular basis, mm-hmm. you don't have the same capacity to absorb this wait until the tax refund comes type of scenario. Yeah, fair point. So to me, I I really think we need a robust carbon pricing structure, but it's a cop out to say you're going to get it back on rebates because that doesn't help anybody in the now.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, we could really get in the weeds on this on on, on what that means. But big sort of idea wise, big picture wise, it's a good point. Karen says uh, not true, Ryan, what you said. Uh, Many Albertans had coal on their radar long before Corblund and everybody else got involved. They just amplified our voices. Totally true, Karen. A hundred percent. And we're grateful and we're lucky to have people like like ranchers and producers and, and rural Albertans, people living near the eastern slopes of the Rockies, people people that pay keen attention to environmental stories and and you know watch, keep keen eye on the government, more important now than ever, in my opinion. Totally agree with you, Karen. Um, at the same point, though, you, I don't, I don't think you can argue that that the majority of Albertans even w- would have would have suspected. I mean, this is one of the things that politicians can do, and it's not just Alberta's provincial government. Although the Alberta's provincial government is really good at it. Is 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 creating a lot of noise and a lot of action and you lose track because you're only human and you can't keep pace and there are fewer and fewer journalists and I'm going to go on a soapbox now and start ranting and rambling and you know more of my friends lost their broadcasting jobs in the last two weeks and the industry is just you know more and more people want to anyway I'm not going to get off on that tangent but there's not as many people that are that are there's not as many many ledge watchers. You know? And I just think that, that it it's fair to say that the majority of Albertans, the majority of Canadians were surprised to learn that Alberta was well down the road of green lighting open pit coal mining in the on the eastern slopes of the Rockies. I, I don't think the majority of people were aware of that. That's not to say that some engaged citizens haven't been fighting this for a long time. And and I have mad respect for those people and I'm grateful that they did and that they are and that they continue to. You can let us know what you think about, you know, what you heard. Larry says it is time for all Canadians to understand that carbon reduction must happen and polluters must pay, says regional and, and federal carbon strategies must be put in place to encourage the economy and to encourage investment. Stephen, meantime, says all this, all these thoughtful conversations the Trudeau government has, has conducted have led to increased costs for taxpayers. Mark's watching in from Utah says, you know, passing along higher prices to the consumer only works to the level that the consumer's willing to pay. He says, I worked retail long enough to know you can't just keep raising prices all the time. Les is walking, watching in from southern Alberta, says that was one area where Rachel Notley had it wrong with her carbon tax. We'll ask our next guest, Dr. Andrew Leach. Les says rural Albertans were paying more. The rebate should have been based on postal codes. We'll get into that. Let's take a quick moment to remind you that the teams at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge have, bar none, the best selection of Jeep and Ram trucks in the province of Alberta, bar none. So whether you're looking to upgrade your family's ride, maybe an SUV is a nice fit for you. This new Jeep Grand Cherokee L has that third row of seating, the seven-seater Grand Cherokee, or maybe the big, nice, luxurious Grand Wagoneer later this year, or maybe you're picking up a trailer. Maybe you're taking a look at where these COVID rates are going, and you're going, this is going to be another summer of camping. That's what, that's what our family's doing this summer. You're going to need something to haul that trailer. You'll find the best selection in the province of Ram Trucks at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Also, a big shout out to the team at Park Power. They're powering our hashtag today in every show. The Real Talk RJ, Park Power is proud to take 10% of their profits and give them back to the communities where they do business. It's just one of the reasons why we're proud to partner with them. They offer... Internet, natural gas, and electricity. And if you sign up today at parkpower.ca and use the promo code 2021 real talk, they're going to give you 70 bucks off your first bill at parkpower.ca. Sam, so let's take a quick look at what's making news today. As mentioned, Grace Life Church just west of Edmonton, the parking lot jam packed yesterday. As their pastor James Coates preached for the first time after being incarcerated last month for refusing to follow COVID-19 public health measures. Of course, the rules state that churches and places of worship have to limit attendance to 15% of their fire code capacity. Of course, that's not the case at Grace Life. Alberta Health Services says they continue to work to clear up any confusion. There is no confusion. That's what the other news anchors aren't allowed to do in their newscasts. Have you seen this story? A Chinese diplomat referring to Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau as boy in a sneering social media attack. This is the new shift they're calling it toward confrontational diplomacy from Beijing, particularly against countries that China views as weaker. Li Yang, who's China's Consul General to Rio de Janeiro, in a tweet this week and I don't know I'm smart. it's just this is just bizarre world addresses Canada's prime minister quote boy your greatest achievement is to have ruined the friendly relations between China and Canada and have turned Canada into a running dog of the Americans running dog a phrase typically associated with maoist china it's an insult that invokes a dog running after a master for scraps says commentary in the globe and mail its use against a foreign leader by a diplomat is unusual (laughs) you might say and as mentioned the ever given one of the largest water vessels ever built in human history has been freed and is now on the move according to the authority chairman of egypt's suez canal the ship partially shifted uh, on late sunday night here early monday morning over there started moving away from the western blank, uh, bank after blocking the suez canal for six days just a remarkable story it's one of those stories that's kind of funny unless you're involved or affected in any way shape or form and then it's not funny at all <laughs> but the ever given is free all right let's broaden our conversation Around this Supreme Court decision, we haven't even really talked about the fact that that Conservative Party of Canada members voted against a movement to, to more formally recognize climate change as an existential threat. Aaron O'Toole, the leader, saying the party's got to change if we're going to win. Um, and in follow up, he's been talking to reporters over the weekend, uh, essentially when asked about the party's grassroots, uh, saying no to, to a more definitive position on climate change. Aaron O'Toole uh, telling a, a press conference yesterday, quote, I'm the leader. I'm in charge so Aaron O'Toole showing uh you know his version of leadership on that file and real talkers I'm curious to know how you feel about this Dr. Andrew Leach a good friend of this show is an associate professor at the Alberta School of Business uh he's just wrapped up studies at the U of A's faculty of law though he's going to tell me because you've not what is it it's a technicality you've not been called to the bar is that why I'm not calling you a lawyer
3: exactly I I didn't do a a JD or a Prequel to to practicing law, just a master's in constitutional law.
0: Okay, but you got it. And and two of your papers. Here's a big deal. Uh, One of them with Eric Adams at the U of A and the other uh, with Martin Olshinsky, who's been on Real Talk with you before uh, and his colleague Nigel Banks cited by the Supreme Court in their decision, which is I understand it is a pretty big deal. Uh, Dr. Andrew Leach, welcome to Real Talk. Welcome back. It's good to have you here. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. Yeah. Am I fairly I'm looking forward to this conversation. I'm going to ask you, my only assignment to you today is is dumb it down because there's no there's no doubt we can both agree that, you know, you're smarter than me and you can run circles around me on this stuff. But let's talk in layperson's language. You are one of the key architects were of Rachel Notley's and the NDP government's climate strategy, and you support premier jason kenney fighting the feds with this carbon tax challenge up to the supreme court and some people might think that that those two can't align but with you they obviously do so help us understand
3: sure i, I think there's a difference between supporting premier Kenny's approach to this which is very political versus is this a valid question to ask and and to me this question and we've had this in our country since confederation how far can the federal government reach into the traditional areas of the provinces and, and this back and forth at the Supreme Court between provinces and, and the federal government about different pieces of legislation and this is, you know, this is the, the legislative challenge of our time in a way is how we deal with climate change as a country. And so for a province to, to step out and say, no, I think the federal government in the way they've designed this or the way they've done this has gone too far. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I do think there's some things wrong with how he's, you know, both before and after the rulings politicized the courts and and really called on the courts to advance his own political agenda. But in terms of asking the question, I don't think there's anything wrong with it.
0: Do you not only do you not think there's anything wrong with it, do you think it was
3: important? Absolutely. I, I think, you know, we, we can stand here or sit here, or I guess we're sitting, agree that climate change is one of the existential challenges for governments right now. And the the question is which level of government and and using which tools, which levels of government can deal with this problem. And Alberta, for example, has had carbon pricing since 2007. So we definitely don't want something that says, this is only a federal government policy problem. This is something that provincial governments can deal with as well. And we absolutely don't want to just say, uh, you know, this is only the provincial government, that there's no coordinating role for the feds. But how you balance that and how you make it consistent with the way we've divided powers between our two levels of governments over over time is is an important question for us.
0: were you what do you read into uh, the the six three decision? Uh, like put that into perspective for us. I'm not sure maybe, I don't know if people were expecting a unanimous decision, but what do you read into? And, and more particularly the rulings. I know you've dug into it six, three, what do you make of it?
3: Sure. So I think there's a lot of people kind of scorekeeping on this to say, well, look, that wasn't even close. It was six, three. And I, and I think we're not privy to the discussions of the justices behind the scenes and, and how they're thinking on this or how sort of close it was, but You know, if if you think about it, you're only two justices away from the decision turning the other way. So two justices that have to decide that one of the reasons some of their colleagues objected to this legislation, well, you know what? Yeah, you're right, that's valid. Let's send the the federal government back to the drawing board. So I don't think uh, you wanna score keep too much. If you look across, this, this legislation was challenged in Ontario, in Saskatchewan, in Alberta, and then again at the Supreme Court. And at the end of the day, you end up with, through those four decisions, I think if I'm, my math is right in my head here, nine of our top jurists in the country coming out and saying, no, this was too much of a reach for the federal government. And then you've got uh, a few more than that saying, no, this is this is carefully adjudicated within the bounds of the federal government's reach. So it's, it's not like this was a no brainer. This was something that... You know, I've seen a lot of people say, oh, yeah, it's obvious that the federal government could do this it was obvious from day one. And, and I just don't accept that.
0: You you I know that have been paying attention to past Supreme Court decisions. As a matter of fact, past cases in front of the Supreme Court and seen some pretty interesting one. Uh, what about Stephen Harper's Securities Act? That, there was a big swing there. And, and I yeah, wonder if and- you may find some sort of like some some interesting application here.
3: Uh, Great question. And the court in the carbon pricing ruling relied quite a bit on on the history of that, even though it was a slightly different federal power. But the the governor, Stephen Harper, went forward with national securities regulation, and that went before the court in, in 2011. And at that point, the court actually, I think, to the surprise of many observers, uh, ruled unanimously against the federal government's ability to regulate securities in the way they'd put forward. And they and they essentially carved out a roadmap and said, you know, these are the things you can do, these are the things you can't. A few years later, the, the government came back with new legislation that in that case was adopted unanimously by the Supreme Court or was endorsed unanimously by the Supreme Court. So these are not necessarily things that are, you know, even though it comes out as a nine nothing decision, that doesn't necessarily mean you're far from the line. It's not the way you would look at a hockey score and say, well, you know, if, that, if one team beat the other nine, nothing, there must have been a mismatch. It can be a very, very close decision and yet still fall unanimously because the particular technical aspect of the ruling captures all judges uh, uh, in terms of what they think is, is a reasonable outcome.
0: So what does this mean? I mean, there are so many. There's obviously partisan uh, infusion here. Uh, you've talked about the, you know, the premier's politicizing of this, and and, and politicians are going to politic. Um, you know, I mean, I, I saw the hashtag Rachel was right trending after the decision. People are saying, well, Notley had a an, an Alberta, you know, an Alberta designed, Alberta implemented carbon tax, you know, years ago, and are we just going to go to that? You don't necessarily think. Uh, that that Premier Jason Kenney is going to introduce a, a made in Alberta carbon tax. What do you think if 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 you're the Premier of Alberta or let me just ask you, you don't have to walk in his shoes. What do you think he's going to do?
3: Well, my my sense is it you know Jason Kenney since really even back to the the Stéphane Dion era has been a staunch opponent of carbon pricing, carbon taxes. And in particular, obviously, very opposed to the one that Premier Notley imposed here in Alberta. So and he's basically spent the last, I don't know, five or six years of his, maybe more than that, trying to position himself as the strength against the weakness of Justin Trudeau. And so I can't see him now turning around and saying, "Okay, sure, Justin Trudeau's one. I'm going to do that thing, which I am incredibly opposed to, but I'm going to blame Justin Trudeau for making me do it. I, I can't see that. I see, and, you know, I'm maybe alone on my island on this, but I think you're more likely to see him let the federal government keep their price imposed and use that as a, as a consistent way to say, look, you're paying Justin Trudeau's carbon tax. And then where he can, he'll use the revenues that, that come from the federal government uh, as a result of that, and and as we've seen him on other files, take full credit for it, even though it's uh, money that's coming from the federal government and in some case money that's, that's backstopped by the carbon price.
0: Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm curious to see. I mean, on, on one hand, he, he wouldn't be wrong. I mean, it is Justin Trudeau's carbon tax. We just talked to Minister Wilkinson, who acknowledges that, you know, over the next nine years, which is which is either an eternity or not, depending on your perspective, it's going up by 400 percent. I mean, that's a big deal. Um, You know, at the same time, though, I think that, you know, we we get polling through through our audience and our partnership with Y Station and we see polling from other agencies and firms across Canada. And we know that Canadians widely acknowledge uh, the majority of Canadians, anyway, widely acknowledge across the country that climate change is a real threat and that we need to do something about it. And so. I've got time to listen to a politician say, I don't think that carbon pricing is the way to go. But if that politician doesn't have an alternative plan or doesn't have a vision, uh, then I'm not sure how much weight their words carry. And I and I just yeah. don't I, I, I like to think that my fellow Albertans and my fellow Canadians are intelligent and will see through, um, you know, pure partisan you know, politicization of an issue like this, and and I don't know that it plays well as more and more people become acutely aware of the impact of climate change and the undeniability of it. Um, I'm not sure how much longer Jason Kenny can play those cards unless he comes up with meaningful alternatives.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think those cards are still going to play well in Alberta, right? If you break down the polling data, I know there's some some work from the University of Montreal at the riding level and at the the um, provincial.
0: We may have had uh, Dr. Leach freeze for a moment there. He he's it's not the worst, you know, some people their freeze face is like really unflattering i thought that that was actually he looked very contemplative and he looked very thoughtful there with his freeze face but that's a pretty good freeze face let me know sam when we get him back uh, and and we'll look forward to continuing our conversation with uh, dr andrew leach it gives me a chance to check in on our live chat here and and say what uh real talkers are saying those that are watching us live this morning um this was an interesting one from jim let me hit this head on jim jim says isn't that interesting ryan goes from talking about carbon pricing right in to talking about ram trucks and advertising about ram trucks and i i love having conversations like this because i don't think that that's incongruous and i don't think that that's a big like punch between my eyes like oh i was talking about carbon tax and then i talked about ram trucks um you know i support uh, action on the climate file i have all day to talk about what you think is is the best approach to it right now in canada it's carbon pricing and we can talk to a lot of experts including the guy that we're talking to right now dr andrew leach about why that's effective that doesn't mean that I'm not proud to like we, you know, we have a classic car. That has a 429 a 7.2 liter 429 v8 in there th- that thing you know i mean we pay more to drive that car you know i love off-roading you know that it's a family hobby we you know we burn fuel and we pay the carbon tax like i don't i'm not going to pretend like you know i mean if you have people that are right now keeping you know the, the country heated uh, you know out there working uh people that are working in ag people that are working in pl- plumbers and i don't need to name every industry that uses pickup trucks uh we're still going to use them So I don't think like, yeah, do buy Ram trucks, go around, do your research, find out what companies are doing the best when it comes to developing uh, motors with high emission standards and and efficiencies. And, you know, I mean, I I can't start getting into the intricacies of the Ram truck power plant because that's not where I'm at. But but I've got all day to talk about carbon tax and pickup trucks. I, I don't think that I mean, that's just real life. You know, I mean, you know, I'll sit around a campfire and talk about saving the planet and you'll say, well, there's emissions coming off that campfire. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Is Doctor Leach ready to rock and roll? He's still frozen. He's, he's, hey, we've lost him completely. Oh, we've lost oh, him yeah. completely. So I'm just, oh, that's uh, too bad.
1: He, he might rejoin us, but uh, okay. Tabs well, on I
0: mean, I think you know, I think that we, uh, you know, we got a sort of a good sense of where he's at. It's kind of unfortunate. We'll see if uh, I'm going to tell him right now. Chime back in if you can, pal. Uh, send uh, Doctor Leach a message because because I, I did want to circle back. I mean, kind of the obvious, the the uh, you know, the strategy here with the interview was to circle back and say, okay, so. If we were to design a made in Alberta tax or made in Alberta solution, if you want to call it that, what did the original Notley carbon tax get right? And what would need to change on that? And and uh, if Andrew Leach joins us, we can see. But but I think that that's an that's an interesting question. I'm curious to know how Premier Jason Kenney plays this one.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think Dr. Leach is right in that. um Jason Kenney, if we've learned anything in the time that, not just the time that he's been in government, but just the time that he's been in Alberta, is that, you know, the the NDP is not his opposition. Ottawa is his opposition. He finds the NDP to just be an annoyance across the aisle from him in Alberta. But, you know, he's really always campaigning against Ottawa. So there's no way that he puts his own solution in place. Uh, The only way that I could maybe see that is if he tries to spin this and say, we've had this plan all along. It's way better than the federal one's ever going to be. It's, you know, based on some homegrown research in Alberta and blah, blah, blah. like Jason Kenney and the Mats can spin this whatever way that they want to. I think it'll be disingenuous whichever way they want. The fact is he cruised in here in his big blue truck and said, Alberta, you're not paying the carbon tax anymore. And I'm gonna fight for it mm-hmm. and he lost yeah, well, so he needs to
0: figure out what to do next people have you know And people have been saying to me critical of you know, I tweeted last week I said and and uh, You know I, the, the tweet kind of like went in some weird directions with with how people perceived it But I essentially said, you know, let's be clear. Let me be clear uh, just for fun I threw that in there of course, but but I said let me be clear uh, You know Jason Kenny essentially knew Phil. Well, he was gonna lose this challenge and some people are saying well No, he didn't know he didn't know he was gonna lose okay Nobody knows they're going to lose Well most people don't um, You know OJ won I mean anybody can win um, Did he really compare the carbon to, to No But the point is And the point of my tweet was that it, It's not about the win at the Supreme Court A win would be a bonus Is Leach ready to go Okay. Yeah, I'm not yeah. going to punt. I'm not going to bloviate when we have Dr. Andrew Leach ready to join us again. Welcome back. You'll be relieved. Thanks. I don't know what happened there. Well, Sorry you'll you'll that. be you'll be relieved to know that your freeze face actually made you look somewhat contemplative. Like it wasn't some weird like ah, you know. You had a you had a dignified freeze face when your when your feed froze on us so that's a good
3: you you always know when adobe is going to update is when your entire computer grinds to a halt for an unexplained reason for (laughs) like three minutes (laughs) and you just know that's what's coming
0: that's right well now you're all updated and ready to rock and roll so let's jump right back in i was i was lamenting the fact that i didn't get an opportunity to circle back and say okay you know Notley's plan and you you know you know alberta's you know grassroots car i can't even say that with a straight face but alberta's plan alberta's carbon tax introduced by the former premier uh, you know it almost better than anybody else what did it get right and if alberta were to roll out a made in alberta plan what would you change with a few years now under your belt with an understanding of of how it works and, and what's most effective
3: Sure. So I think the big difference is what would the marching orders be from the premier? So when Rachel Notley gave us um, a problem to solve, so to speak, she gave us four things she wanted. She wanted the coal phase out. She wanted uh, carbon pricing that was credible nationally and internationally. Uh, she wanted renewable power. So help for renewable power. And she wanted an energy efficiency agency. So we can pretty much cross off two or three of those that are not going to be immediately on Jason Kenney's agenda, or at least not policy priorities. So for if you're pitching it to Jason Kenney, you turn around and say, you know, that that tax shift logic to say, this as if we're gonna have a greenhouse gas policy, this is the most efficient uh, economically that you can have, and it will allow you to lower other taxes. And a lot of the businesses you're trying to attract, whether it be film and television, engineering, tech, et cetera, they're relatively low emissions businesses. And so for them, they're much more interested in a low income tax rate than they're interested in a low carbon tax rate. So you can pitch those, you can pitch a lower deficit if that were his priority, but I think the differences between the policies are going to be mostly what you do with the revenue. And then, of course, I heard your previous guests, or you, you were reading out one of the comments in terms of the structure, if any, of a rebate. So if you're going to do a direct consumer rebate, is it going to be you know the same to everybody? Is it gonna be more like the federal rebate where it's targeted more to rural residents versus urban residents? I think all of those come down to what is the the government of the day's policy priority. And, there, and there'd be no question there'd be differences between Premier Kenny and, and then Premier Notley on those files.
0: This was the tweet that I was talking about. Um, This was one that that actually got you and I talking because you disagreed with me. And I said, let me be clear. Kenny knew full well he'd lose his lawsuit versus the feds. The fight, not the win, matters most. If downtown Calgary sees Jason Kenny throwing punches. (laughs) via the courts the war room or elsewhere he's happy to spend our money now i know some people got hung up and 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 fair enough and that's fine and and you know maybe i'd go back and and tweak or rewrite it people are saying well he didn't it wasn't a guarantee that he'd lose and fair enough Mm -hmm. i'll I'll, I'll concede that The, the point of my tweet is to say that this this almost is I see it almost as the win would be the bonus and the fight the bluster the bravado you know people are saying he promised to fight the feds and so he's fighting the feds so he's living up to his promise he's making good on his promise and he deserves to be you know celebrated or recognized for that to me I just I don't think it's fair I don't think it's productive to compare fighting in the Supreme Court you know arguing in the Supreme Court let me say and and taking on a Bigfoot cartoon it's not the same thing but it's coming from the same government and it's coming from the same mentality. And ultimately it's coming out of the mandates are coming out of the same office to a certain degree. Uh, and that's the part that I kind of take issue with is that it's hard to separate the serious from the ridiculous. You know what I'm saying? I,
3: I agree. And, and I think you your the last part of your tweet is, is entirely correct that premier Kenny for all intents and purposes, you know, the war room is a political action committee. It's a slush fund of provincial dollars, that's going to tell people how much Jason Kenny is fighting on their behalf. And, you know, that's an egregious use of provincial dollars. And the whole idea of putting it outside the government to me seems, again, it's designed to obfuscate, it's designed to take transparency away. So all of that is terrible. And, and you're right, the fight is what we're after. But I think, you know, we, we don't want to stop and say that there aren't going to be legitimate reasons for a federal or for a provincial government to push back and, and for for them to do so, for example, in in the Supreme Court. And I, I mentioned on email one of the, the previous ones that we have an example of that being the Premier Lougheed fighting the federal government's authority to tax uh, natural gas. And in that case, again, they, they put a lot of money and resources into building a case. They even went out and bought producing natural gas assets to create that case that uh, it was provincial gas that was being taxed by the federal government. The federal government didn't have the authority to do that. They contrived this whole thing and went to the Supreme Court and won. And it was a big part of uh, the laying the groundwork for more provincial autonomy on resources.
0: So where does the focus go now for 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 engaged citizens, the people that are going to download this podcast, Andrew, they're going to listen to this interview, and and they're not every single day spending six hours reading Hansard or transcripts or digging into the nitty gritty, you know, the, the muck and mire of daily politicking. What's the story now moving forward as far as you're concerned?
3: I think the story is that this isn't over, that the fights about whether it's a political fight or a legal fight about carbon pricing as a as a tool and about action on climate change in general is, is not over it's probably really still just getting started and and you mentioned Aaron o'toole in your in your lead into this section i think he said yesterday that his climate plan is coming within months and that's the one that i think we need to watch for next to say what is Aaron o'toole going to do and and i'll say i'll say this I, i've had you know there are a few politicians who pick up the phone and call me when they, you know, have questions about carbon policy. And I've had the opportunity to chat with Aaron O'Toole about this a, a long time ago, when before he was leader. But, you know, my sense is he takes this problem more seriously than people are giving him credit for. So I'm actually looking forward to seeing what's in his plan. And if he can win over that grassroots that you talked about, that obviously uh, has a as a voting block does not feel that climate change is a problem they should be addressing. So this is going to be the big test of his leadership. And then in uh, as a follow on to that, it's going to be one of the big underpinnings of our next election.
0: Yeah, I like I. I don't know. With with regards to Aaron O'Toole, I think sometimes and and again, this like the political strategists that listen to this may go, oh, Jesperson, this is why you're not a political strategist. But but every once in a while, same. Yeah. But but every once in a while, (laughs) leaders have to say, like, kind of what he said, Mm -hmm. what did he say? I want to read the exact quote. He said, uh, I'm the leader. I'm in charge which is kind of what Jason Kenny said when he was asked about his grassroots guarantee and all this and I think at the end he said at the end of the day I'm the one holding the pencil or something like that but sure. but but we know that in my opinion and I think that it's shared widely um, the conservatives spend a lot of time um, sort of re-earning votes that are already guaranteed and because, it, I mean, it is an important balance, but really, I mean, if you look at ultimately the threats to the Conservative Party of Canada in the last election, like what were they really? Like in some ridings, maybe they'd swing, you know, based on an issue to the liberals or something. But really, what was it? The People's Party of Canada? Seriously? It, it, it was an absolute joke. And so yeah. if, if I'm Aaron O'Toole, I'm, I'm going to recognize, because I don't think he's stupid, uh, that you better do something. I mean, voters in, in Vancouver and Toronto said it. They said that if Andrew Scheer would have had what they could even justify as some form of a legitimate climate plan, they would have been happy to vote for the conservatives. And I think that there are probably more people in Canada than the average, you know, CPC member might assume uh, that are open minded to it. But it's going to require I hate to say bold vision, but it's going to
3: require mm-hmm. that from Aaron yeah. and He knows it. And, you know, I don't actually think the table stakes for him are that high, right? I think what he needs right now, you know, Andrew Scheer's climate plan was was essentially non-existent. So Andrew Scheer almost gets recognition if he has a remotely credible, or sorry, Aaron O'Toole gets recognition. Even if he comes to the table with something that makes you go, oh, maybe he's not completely unserious about this. Whereas I think that the stakes for uh, Justin Trudeau, what can he bring to the table in the next election on this file There's a very different opening expectation. So I think there's an opportunity for him. And and it's something that, you know, I'd love to see that fight, right? I'd love to see the fight where you have a credible conservative, sort of small government climate change plan that, that has that credibility, and then contrast that against the liberal plan. And then contrast that about whatever the the Greens and NDP are going to bring to the table with being able to change everything, you know, next Tuesday.
0: Yeah. Dr. Andrew Leach, associate professor at the Alberta School of Business. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for doing the show. Thanks. Sorry for the tech bubble nah, there. No, it's fine. We roll with it. We enjoy that type of stuff. Thanks, Andrew. All I, don't right. know, I don't know if we enjoy it, Sam, but it gives us a chance to check in with one another. Yeah, okay, you know, we, can, can, we
1: can roll with it. You know, it
0: gives us a chance to check I, I in on the chatterbox.
1: I can't say a guest dropping out has ever been an enjoyable experience for me. It's <laughs> yeah. usually just abject panic over on this side of the room. Yeah, but, I do have uh, to say
0: that's that's based on I'm walking in these shoes and you're walking yeah, in those. Yeah, okay, that's fine. Because for me, it's when a guest drops out, it's it's somewhat relaxing. It's really not my problem. <laughs> all, it's, it's more your problem than it's my problem, although all of the guests dropping out would very much be... Be my problem so we're lucky to have you here Sam uh, the team at Friesen Brothers is thrilled at the response that they've been getting from Real Talkers with the opening of their 15th store back at the beginning of this month the 15th Alberta location in South Edmonton just off the Anthony Ende at Rabbit Hill Road showcasing amazing Alberta producers and what a lot of you have been chiming in on what a lot of you ex- are excited about and I love this one I read this feedback a while ago from Kim who said Jespo well, all you do is you talk about meat you, you talk about their smoker and their smoked bacon and their sausage and their and their braised beef short rib and oh jeez, I mean Denise on this email too. Here I go again, Denise. I can't help myself. But she said you got to tell. She said so many real talkers would be thrilled to know how many vegan and vegetarian offerings they have and clearly labeled. And it's true. I told you when I was there. I tried their Montreal smoked tofu. Woo! Not bad. Not bad. You know, in my personal opinion, I'm not going to say it's better than Montreal smoked meat, but it's not bad you can find Friesen Brothers across Alberta Alberta grown and Alberta owned the teams at Dairy Queens Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park want to remind you that every night can be date night for five bucks that's right for five bucks every night after 8pm you can show up and mix and match any two medium dipped cones and Sundays two for five bucks after 8pm seven nights a week at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park make sure you let them know you're a real talker when you're there also a shout out to to the team at Clean Air Club. Hey, I don't want to brag, Sam. I don't mean to brag. I don't mean to, I mean to act like a big shot here, but I would like to note that. I changed my furnace filter last week. Well done! Yeah, I know, I know, and you know what? I saved money and I am breathing now easier. Now let me guess: you had to
1: change the furnace filter, you had to get out the toolbox, you had to oh, disassemble the a a panel, such a you had hassle! To like, oh yeah,
0: no, it literally to it literally takes three seconds. I know, it's it takes so three easy. seconds. So why do we wait so long? The team at Clean Air Club, on their website, CleanAirClub.ca, is ready to take your sign up. They make it so easy. Oftentimes, it's the next day. They drop off the furnace filters on your front doorstep. You pay less than you would in the store, plus they give you a little free gift. It's their way of supporting local at cleanairclub.ca. Our next guest is uh, a very good friend of mine, uh, and uh, I'm excited to have her back on the show joining us out of uh, Toronto. She's doing a whole bunch of new stuff, which is very cool, having having recently on her own terms left a pretty high-profile talk radio gig in Toronto. She's now senior counsel at Enterprise Canada. She's a visiting researcher at Ryerson University's Journalism Research Center, and she's a panelist. Of course, you see her on Power & Politics, on CBC, and probably more prominently right here on Real Talk. Supriya? davetti welcome back to the show it's good to see you
4: thanks so much for having me i mean who can complain with that kind of an intro yeah, Ryan?
0: well I'm probably vashi capellos who's gonna maybe take <laughs> issue with the fact that i'm claiming to be higher profile in power and politics uh <laughs> of course she would know i'm kidding when the technical producer doubles over in laughter we know that we're just joking it's good to, first of all how the hell are you how are you doing it's been a while since we've connected
4: yeah, I'm OK. I'm um, I'm currently coming to you from my in-laws uh, basement. Um, I'm kind of like in a bunker a little bit. I don't know if you can see that. OK, um, yeah. Yeah. But that's because we're putting our house up uh, for sale. So we're all sort of huddled into into in-law HQ. As wow. It were.
0: May I may I first of all compliment you on the luxurious design of your leather chair? It looks to me it looks Thank to me you. like I would imagine that when you sit in a chair like that, you're you're more inclined to make important decisions.
4: Well, I am coming to you from a laundry room, so I felt okay. like I needed the leather chair to instill a sense of importance. Okay. You know?
0: If you wouldn't have let us know, we would have never been able to tell, uh, <laughs> but, you, but you pull it off. Well, what's the, what's the Toronto real estate when, when someone, because you are you and your family, you guys are kind of right in the heart of the action, aren't you right now? What's what's Toronto real estate looking like these days?
4: Insane, yeah. um, in a word, uh, incredibly competitive. So on the one hand, for us putting our house up, that's of course good news, but we are intending to buy as well. And that just, you know, factors into into the whole thing. I mean, houses go over asking quite regularly. Um, I don't know how anybody gets into this market initially without any sort of help. Um, we certainly did uh, to be able to get in and I, it's, it's nuts. You know, it's seemingly that for our generation and the generation that's coming up under us, Ryan, it's like, I don't know how anybody's going to own a home yeah. in the GTA anyway.
0: Well, I don't even, I don't even know the generation coming up under us. I don't even know if they care about owning homes. You, you, you keep hearing that from people that say that the younger generation, like Gen Z, um, I'm not going to speak on their behalf, but maybe they care less about owning homes and maybe they care less about things like owning vehicles. I don't know. It, it could turn some industries, I mean, including people's nest eggs on their head, but I'm talking to friends in Calgary, same thing in Vancouver, but most especially Calgary, where the real estate market there is pretty heated. And at the same time, they've got 30 percent office vacancies downtown. And and, uh, you know, there's a lot of pretty dire economic forecasting going on. And I'm trying to reconcile the two. Like, I'm not sure who's buying and building all these beautiful new homes and and who's who is, you know, going sort of over asking on all these houses with so many people out of work. But it's just one of those things, I guess.
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, to be fair, with respect to Gen Zers not necessarily wanting to own homes, I feel like they said the same thing about millennials, didn't they?
0: Yeah, probably. Probably. Huh. They probably said the right. same thing about us. Every generation coming up is like, this is the generation that does not And then we're, we're just <laughs> yeah. all the same. I was just talking to Dr. Andrew Leach about, um, and we haven't talked a ton about this, but I've been looking forward to connecting with you. Um, and I wanted to ask you about this. Conservative Party of Canada leader, Aaron O'Toole, uh, brushing off the idea sort of mid last week that a vote by the party's grassroots on climate change, on recognizing climate change as essentially an existential threat, um, that, that it should be you know, influence uh, the broader population's perception of the conservatives. Do you think I don't want to say how damaging I want to ask, do you think it damages the party to see the grassroots vote no to something like this?
4: I think it does, not necessarily because of the vote itself, but more so because of the coverage that happened after the fact. Right. I mean, there are multiple headlines across multiple media outlets that where the TLDR version was conservatives vote down motion saying climate change is real. And that is incredibly damning, especially when the conservatives do need to make inroads into urban and suburban ridings you know, around the GTA, around Vancouver, um, other areas across the country as well, obviously. And they're not necessarily doing too well with that voter demographic. They're not doing too well as a whole with millennials. They're not doing too well as a whole with women. They're not doing too well as a whole with Gen Zers. So with respect to where they're going to get their votes um, next election, I mean, something's got to give. But I do give Mr. O'Toole a lot of credit here for, you know, after the vote had taken place, basically him saying and his TLDR version was, well, too bad. I'm, I'm the leader and I'm going to have my own plan. I think it will just be very interesting to see what that plan you know, will obviously um, consist of because it's all well and good to say you have a plan. But then let's let's see what that actually is.
0: Yeah. For for people that that haven't dug into it. So basically, here's the deal. The the existing document, the, the party's official policy document does acknowledge climate change. The party's 2019 election platform, the election you and I worked together in Toronto, so, you know, said that, you know climate change does exist but but this would have included the line climate change is real and and perhaps more meaningfully or maybe equally as meaningfully it added language that highly polluting canadian businesses take responsibility for reducing greenhouse gas emissions and be held accountable for results. It also would have stated that the party believes in supporting innovation and in green technologies. So I wonder if maybe for some people it was it was kind of maybe where it got more specific or maybe it was laying some things at the feet of businesses that that some people may believe are, are inclined to be packing up and packing up shop based on some taxation structures. I mean, there could be more to it. What we see from the liberals, though, is an opportunity to continue to paint this party as climate change deniers. And this is probably Aaron O'Toole's biggest challenge.
4: Yeah, I agree with that, because the other thing that the liberals and even the NDP and the Greens have going for them with respect to painting the conservatives with a broad brush on this isn't necessarily just with climate. Right. But kind of like anti-science or anti-evidence or anti-expert um, as a whole. And of course, in the middle of a friggin pandemic, um, being anti-science and you know being anti-expert isn't necessarily uh, where you want to park your vote um, when an election is possibly looming. And so I think when we're talking about this um, kind of big picture analysis, it's also worth noting that with respect to the Conservatives' own branding and how voters tend to perceive them, um, this kind of folds into the larger narrative and the larger picture of them being perhaps a little bit more old school, a little bit more traditional, um, You know, not necessarily listening to the concerns of younger Canadians or urban and suburban Canadians. And that is kind of what I was getting to in, the opening there, because that is a much larger problem for them than just the one specific um, policy vote down on climate change.
0: Yeah. What's what's your general you and I haven't really spoken a ton um, over the number of months that we've seen Aaron O'Toole start to put his stamp on the party is 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 there anything I mean, I wouldn't say that there's been any sort of dramatic turn of anything. Um, I I wouldn't say that the party is dramatically different. Maybe they're taking it in some some interesting ways angles on how they're advertising him as leader kind of as the the guy walking down the street with the open caller saying hey if you know if you don't if you don't know me I'm Aaron O'Toole I'm the leader of Canada's conservatives it's all kind of casual right he says anyway gotta get back to work and he walks off camera so we're kind of we didn't really see that from Andrew Shear but how would you characterize Aaron O'Toole's leadership you know at this point in his tenure relatively early?
4: I mean it's tough, right for any opposition leader to really um, break their way through the news cycle and to do it in a way where they're not necessarily seen as just beating up on the government. so I do recognize that. but one thing I will say about Mr. O'Toole versus Mr. Shear is that right away, you know and I, I don't this isn't necessarily as a shot at shear, but like O'Toole just seems much more comfortable in his skin. Um, And I feel like that could potentially make a a pretty big difference for uh, the Conservatives campaigning um, a a little bit further down the line. I think Andrew Scheer, he came across as a little bit rigid, and it was weird because, I mean, I interviewed the guy when I was still on air in in Toronto, and he was very, you know, affable, had a great personality, but it's like the second that he knew that the mic was on and that we were live, he sort of just like froze and, and tensed up. And I don't necessarily see that, with uh, with O'Toole so I hope his you know his team probably recognizes that and I'm sure they'll start um, putting him in in front of a mic and in front of cameras and and doing a little you know some of the more intimate meet and greets if you will um, to sort of get that message across
0: the 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 loss in the Supreme Court uh, Alberta Saskatchewan and, and your home province of Ontario although your home your home province is Quebec technically isn't it I, yeah, in, always. Yeah, 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 yeah. La Belle Province. <laughs> but but let's say your province of residence in Ontario. Um, I would imagine Alberta and Saskatchewan, you know, to to paint everybody with one big broad brush probably perceived the news to a certain degree along the same lines, but you wonder how that may have resonated in you know, Queen's Park or whatever. How would you say your fellow Ontarians felt about the loss at the Supreme Court?
4: I think You know, even though a chunk of conservatives probably don't want to admit it, I'd have to imagine that they saw this possibility coming. Right. I mean, on a balance of probabilities, basically every expert in the lead up to this was saying that it was likely that the Supreme Court was going to rule in favor of of the feds on this. Um, I think what's problematic for conservatives just, again, going forward is in taking this fight all the way to the Supreme Court, they've kind of dug their own hole. And if, you know, even when the way we talked about this entire Supreme Court, um, you know, battle, if you will, was kind of missing the larger point. And I, I think the conservatives didn't necessarily, and I'm saying the conservatives writ large, like across the different provinces and federally as well, didn't necessarily make their case um, super well to Canadians because This is now going to be an encroachment of federal, you know, competence or or, or federal jurisdiction on territory that is originally usually seen as, as provincial jurisdiction. And when you're talking about issues that are of national concern, I mean, again, in the middle of a pandemic, You know, arguably that can be expanded. And if you're a conservative, not just necessarily a a capital C conservative, but if you have, you know, small C conservative ideals and you want to see more power given to the provinces and less to Ottawa, this judgment is very bad. And, you know, again, going forward with respect to some of the concentration of power in cabinet um versus you know mps writ large i think again this 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 judgment is is very bad if you're a small seat conservative and it'll be interesting to see what other implications that'll have uh further down the line but Again, you know, when we were talking about this, at least in the media, a lot of how it was framed was the carbon tax is bad and not necessarily, you know, linking it back to the more substantive arguments about separating that federal you know, power from from provincial power.
0: Yeah, you're gonna I mean, to state the obvious, but you're going to see this differently as well as a lawyer. Uh, you know, I mean, just with regards to your professional training and the way that you understand how stories go and how court procedures work, did you did you read anything that you're not seeing necessarily reported? Let me ask you this. If you were hosting your own talk show and you were doing a monologue this morning. Um, What might be one of the things that you would focus on is as noteworthy? I mean, people talked about the the existential threat of of climate change, but that wasn't the only impetus for many of the justices for the six of them ruling the way that they did. Right. Six threes. I don't know if you read into that as an interesting number, obviously not unanimous. What did you pick out of it?
4: The one thing that I think is really interesting is actually to read the dissent, because if you read the dissent from the justices, those three uh, judges that did dissent from the majority, it's interesting to hear their arguments laid out with respect to um, the potential federal incursion on what wouldn't you know, traditionally be seen as as uh, provincial uh, competence or, or jurisdiction. And I think one thing that we miss and if I had my own you know, show that I was monologuing about one thing that we miss when we talk about climate change, just writ large, is that we only tend to frame it as terms of like the environment versus the economy. And we're missing this huge, huge chunk of the conversation, which is that climate change is a threat multiplier. So what does that mean? It means that it exacerbates the threats that we are already facing. And that has such wide-ranging implications and it you know everything from infectious diseases to migration to national security to agriculture and I I just wish we could get out of this box of like carbon tax versus non-carbon tax to have, you know, better more substantive conversations about how we mitigate the effects of climate change going forward and I think that's what's really been missing
0: I'm so with you on that like it's I mean to me it's just so it's such a quite frankly a dumb conversation you know would you rather pay more or less to heat your home well that's not really what the conversation is right would you rather pay you know 68 dollars or 72 dollars to fill up your car like well that's not really what we're talking i mean you know that's kind of like the the, talking about the symptom not the cause in in so many different ways Uh, supria is our guest in just a minute i want to ask her about vaccines and a third wave of covid plus a controversial report by Canada Land over the past couple of days but i wanted to remind you right now at home that McBain Camera is Alberta's best destination for photographers and content creators. You can tell your story beautifully with that Nikon Z50 camera we've been telling you about. Stunning 4K Ultra HD with 1080p slow motion time-lapse mode and so many other features, including that LCD screen that flips down so you can activate self-portrait mode. Perfect for selfies. You know, I was, Plus, talking,
1: to, I was talking to a friend who's a, who is a... like reputable filmmaker on the weekend and we were talking about cameras and he's been looking to buy one. He's like, you know, the feature that I care about a lot is a movable screen. It's like when you're working in the field, that's so valuable to have. That screen that flips around. It's a huge. Bit. It's huge. And yeah. I think it's
0: underlooked quite a bit. I love it. The Nikon Z50 has exactly that. And when you order the Z50 body or the full kit at McBaneCamera.com and enter the promo code RealTalk. That's just one word, RealTalk. You'll get a free ProMaster Hitchhiker tabletop tripod with your order. Plus you can shop safely at one of six convenient Alberta locations, McBain camera in person and online. Also wanted to remind you, we're super excited to be participating with the University of Alberta's three minute thesis competition that's the 3mt contest it goes this thursday april 1st at 1 p.m mountain you can join us live i'm so excited to be hosting it it's online at uab.ca slash 3mt uab.ca slash 3mt you know there are thousands and thousands literally thousands of graduate students at the u of a doing amazing research and this is a really cool way to highlight the work that they're doing Uh, We're going to be on Friday as part of our Real Talk Roundtable, 9 a.m. Mountain Time Live, 11 a.m. Eastern, live here on Real Talk, featuring the first and second place finishers. I like to say first and first runner up, as well as the People's Choice winner. So we'll have three big winners joining us on the show, showing off their research and educating all of us. You can learn more at UAB.ca slash 3MT. Hanging out with Sapria Dovetti this morning and um, Sapriya, pretty tough to ignore this. You know what? What people are describing as a third wave uh, when it comes to this pandemic and the variants. It's it's either coming or it's here. And then the parallel storyline as hundreds of thousands of, of Canadians, you know, get their vaccines and, and we get closer and closer and closer to finding some comfort there. Uh, though we may need to establish some context. How are you feeling generally speaking about all this before we dig into the specifics?
4: I'm a pessimistic person at the best of times, so I will just say it, it, it's disheartening, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and I think in talking about the specifics of you know vaccine versus variants and a third wave resurgence and ICU capacity, I think we miss the larger, point, and it's important to kind of, you know, say it to be able to ground us. But the fact that we have so many vaccines already available to us really is, you know, a testament to science and just how great Um, you know, of a time that we're living in, that we do have access to multiple vaccines that are uh, using different platforms. Um, And I think we should be very grateful for that. And that is the one time I will be optimistic and cheery because now I'm going to go back to doom and gloom. And the doom and gloom is that the variants are in fact here. They are more transmissible. They are worse for you in that, you know, hospitalization time tends to increase and you are seeing on the ground younger and younger people patients for the need to be um, admitted into the ICU. And so that is, you know, just any way you look at it, that's not good. Um, and I think the, the problem that we've sort of gotten ourselves into is that I worry that back, you know, in November and in the lead up to December, when we were talking about this, um, we positioned vaccines as a, you know, our get out of pandemic card, which of course it is in the larger sense, but I don't know if we properly prepared the public for the third wave, that again, every single expert said was going to come when we started seeing an uptick in those, you know, various variants here in different provinces um, across the country. I again, I don't know if the messaging was had changed appropriately or not. In my view, it did not. Um, but I, I think that's that's the problem we're in: is that a lot of people, you know, and especially if you're a regular person who doesn't watch these pressers every day, who isn't addicted to the news. The last news you would have heard on this is probably that, you know, Canada's um, procurement efforts have have gone okay, and that we're, you know, should be seeing a ramp up in in vaccine delivery. And you're not necessarily paying attention to the daily case count. I mean, here in in Ontario, the average seven day case count is now slightly over 2000 cases. That's a lot. Um, You know, in Scarborough, they're having to take out. Um, patients from the ICU here t- and get them down to Kingston because they have more capacity. They're building field hospitals like this is this. This is it's going to be bad. The next little bit is going to be quite bad. Take
0: I mean, this is interesting polling. We haven't really jumped into it. We do a question of the week every week with our partners at Y Station. There are research and strategy partners and uh, our Patreon subscribers would have already seen this full top line report in their inboxes. But let's drop in on it for a second. Um, this, this is a lot of data that's about to smack people in the face. Um, there's a lot of numbers here to sort through and I know that the text is tiny But if you look at the bottom look at this So first of all the red here that you'll see on this graph with apologies to people that are listening to the podcast The red represents percentages of people that would disagree with the statement you're going to hear Yellow is neutral and green is agree Okay, so the first question our provincial public health response. This is specific to alberta Sapria. Our provincial public health response was largely free from political considerations 92 percent disagree Um, as a country we were prepared for a pandemic like this 71 percent disagree but the numbers that i think are particularly interesting look at as we get closer to the bottom lockdown measures on balance have done more good than harm 75 percent agree with that Uh, Lockdown measures were necessary. 90% agree. I guess we can talk about what lockdown means. And this is an interesting one. The vaccine was developed as quickly as it possibly could be while still being medically safe. 88% of respondents agree, which I think is pretty interesting.
4: It, it is. And, you know, somewhat heartening, especially since uh, yeah. it being addicted to news, you can only you can really easily get into a point where you're just reading bad news after bad news. Right. So that is uh, quite the the glimmer of hope. But with respect to, you know, the the first question that you read out, Ryan, um, about how people view provincial response and it being free of politics. I'd be very curious to see how that, you know, how different provinces would would react to that. I would imagine it would be um, somewhat similar in in a bunch of different provinces.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's so much politicking. And then, of course, you look at at at, I think some of the more prominent provincial leaders, you know, Jason Kenney and, and Doug Ford among them. And, you know, their obvious inclination to support Canada's conservatives as opposed to Justin Trudeau. And you might argue that it's inevitable. Are you anecdotally uh, I'm no one's asking anybody to name names. But what are you seeing from, you know, people around you, friends and family? I'm, I've got to be honest. I mean, to some I mean, some of my friends have, have stated quite plainly. Uh, one of my friends the other day says, as soon as my parents, you know, he says as soon as his parents, as soon as the grandparents uh, are vaccinated, then their 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 behavior is going to change. You know, they're not going to wait on you know the health authorities to tell them they can do something for them as soon as the patriarch and the matriarch are vaccinated, they can get back to their version of normal. You know, other people, uh, friends of mine who, uh, you know, I see eye to eye with on a lot of things are going, yeah, I I just don't, I don't think I'm going to get the vaccine. I'm just not. And I'm going, what? I mean, that's, that's my opinion versus their opinion. What are you seeing?
4: I'm seeing anecdotally a lot of people quite excited to get their parents in particular vaccinated because if anything, if nothing else, I mean, it means that they can see Kids again, right. Grandparents can now are all of a sudden free for babysitting once again, which I'm sure <laughs> yeah. uh, makes quite the difference for a lot of parents out there. Um, you know, my sister lives in the U.S. and she's now received two doses of of her vaccine. So uh, we're kind of itching for when her family can sort of you know jump the border and and get back here because i haven't seen her in a year and i miss her i miss her kids um, and i would like our kids to have a normal cousin relationship that they've sort of been robbed of of, of the last year i my, my own view is that i'm you know quite excited to roll up my sleeve and, and get that jab but again i i worry about the public health messaging i worry about how difficult it's been for seniors in particular to get out to get the vaccine uh, ryan i don't know if you've seen any of the those pictures, but there's been a, quite a few a vaccination lineup, you know, clinics and pictures being taken in in Ontario and in uh, in Montreal, where you have, well, Quebec, I should say, where you have a, a, just a, a gaggle of, of of old people basically waiting in their, you know, somewhat cramped quarters, uh, waiting to to get their vac- vaccination. So I hope that doesn't turn off people, but I think more more to the point, we need to also be getting vaccines. Two people. So, if you're a homebound senior uh, and you you know can't leave or don't feel like you can leave safely or in in due time, then let's get the vaccine to them. I think the other thing that we need to be thinking about um, are those those frontline workers, those those essential workers that we once upon a time called. Heroes for working, you know, supply chain logistics, and for working warehouses, and for you know working groceries, working the front lines at grocery stores. Like, let's get them vaccinated because, at least from the data that I've been, you know, privy to and that's been published, there's a huge, huge difference between white collar workers who can work at home and should be working at home versus uh, you know, more precarious workers, more marginalized workers that are working in these larger facilities and that don't have the ability to work from home. And so I would like to see that gap uh, you know, narrowed ideally as soon as possible. I mean, it should have happened. It should have happened during the rollout of the vaccine. But I'll take, you know, making a change of course as like second best.
0: Yeah, we've, we've heard uh, over the course we took a week off over the course of the week off. I had some correspondence from from uh, several pretty high profile representatives, including the president of the Alberta Firefighters Union that was saying that, that they're not satisfied Um, with regards to how that's being approached on their uh, front. And I know that there are many different industries that are arguing that they should be vaccinated as soon as possible. Certainly a worthwhile conversation, especially considering the circumstances you've just detailed. Um, Supriya, before we let you go, uh, let me ask you about this. This is is a pretty, uh, when I saw this uh, pop up on social media a few days ago, I went, oh boy, Uh, Canada land uh, by way of Jonathan Goldsby reporting. As you can see it here, the columnist who covers Doug Ford Ontario's premier for the Toronto Sun lives with Doug Ford's press secretary. They're talking about uh, relatively high profile columnist Brian Lilly and Ivana Yelich. Uh, what do you make of this report?
4: I mean, there's a couple of things. The first is that this is more or less been a little bit of an open secret, right? Wherein people have known about this and nobody has really said anything. So I think that can cause a certain level of miss or or distrust amongst, you know, the general public and and journalists. And whenever there's that kind of gap there, I think it's, you know, in general terms, bad. But I think the other overall lesson for this is that if you're not a dick online and you generally have a non-dickish online persona, um, people won't necessarily take pleasure or glee in when you have kind of effed up in a very public manner, and the reason why I say this is because there have been multiple screenshots uh, by you know Twitter users that have been posted online in which Brian Lindley was going after other journalists uh, for their you know perceived conflicts of interest, or and in a lot of cases you know they ended up being straight up wrong. So I, I think it's you kind of you reap what you sow, right? And if um, I think he would probably be getting a lot more sympathy if he didn't necessarily uh, try and, and, and pull the same thing on his fellow colleagues once upon a time. And, you know, in a lot of cases, not that long ago.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're, they're talking about this one here, which you referenced and, and Canada Land reports it uh, about uh, Robert Benzie, Queens Park bureau chief, married to Rhonda McMichael at that time, a top staffer for then Premier Kathleen Wynne, uh, tweeted Brian Lilly. Uh, Coming up on three years ago, here's something everybody covering Ontario politics needs to ask the star about. Do they get leaks? Um, And of course, he's waking up every morning with uh, anyway. um, (laughs) I uh, I just I just went like it's also like, whoo, you know what I mean? Like, I would imagine if you're Jonathan Goldsby, I mean, again, like you said, if you're not a dick. Uh, the headhunters may not come for you, but but even still, if I were to file a story like this, I'd, I'd have my finger over published for probably quite a while before I before I actually clicked it. It's, it's you don't see a report like this every day. Let me I guess that's what I'm trying to say.
4: No, and I think that's that's to the point that I was saying, right, about it being kind of an open secret amongst journalists and it not being widely shared amongst the public. So there are these things that happen, and I mean, look, it, when you're in when you're working in close quarters, it's not unheard of, obviously, to pair up romantically, and nobody is is faulting two people for you know, like insert the joke here of having found love in a hopeless place that is Queens Park or whatever you want to call it. But <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's 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 just that to that general rule is that if you're not generally dick then people won't be dickish to you. And I I just think it's really interesting also to see the response that you saw emanating from the premier's office, which was to uh, attack Goldsby rather personally and and rather directly, which I think is a shame in all this as well.
0: Yeah, I think if if I remember correctly, there were like some weight blasts and some saying that he looked like he
4: suggested he was a virgin or something yeah I don't it was know. just yeah. kind of
0: like a weird um but but okay so I'm and I'm trying to get this up uh this photo here as soon as possible I want to show this to you so so this is I don't know if you're friends with Althea El- Raj I would consider myself to be a a casual friend of hers I certainly respect her as a journalist there was like somebody posted this photo we, we I'll show you here a while ago this was before the federal election debate and and there was Althea Raj who was one of the debate moderators with Gerald Butts um obviously you know justin trudeau's you know inner pal inner circle pal and 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 at that time what was he at that time not principal secretary or something um
4: <laughs> no i think he was principal secretary was he at, the at time that time. time
0: and and i remember people saying like is like this was like this explosive photo of althea raj having a glass of wine with gerald butts and i kind of I, I mean i guess on one hand i can understand people are saying well this was right before the debate and and how do we know that that she wasn't giving him or he wasn't giving her questions or whatever uh, at the same time, I can think of like how many people would go for drinks or would network or would talk behind the scenes or on the record or off the record. And I just part of me, I guess, uh, you know, and, and maybe some might accuse me of being naive, didn't understand that to be a completely explosive scenario. I mean, the, the list of people that I've been for drinks with, uh, maybe not this past year, but but the year before, Um <laughs> Spans the political spectrum from like far left to I won't say hard right but certainly right-wing conservatives um, And I would consider many if not most of them to be either amicable relationships or, or productive professional relationships or even friends uh, So yeah, I kind of didn't know with regards to this report. I do think it's relevant um, It also made me a little bit uncomfortable
4: yeah, I, I think that's a good way to put it. And I mean, to your point, I, I apologize if it was right before the the last round of debates, and I, you know, Ger- Gerald Butts wouldn't have been his principal secretary at the time. So you're right on right, that. Yeah. But I, but but yeah, to your point, journalists meet with all sorts of people all the time to get stories on background to confor- to confirm things, right? And you also just to share gossip. Like yeah. let's, let's call a spade
0: a spade. Yeah, exactly. It's really good to see you again. Thank you for taking time. Uh, we've got some really helpful suggestions for from from uh, live viewers right now that are saying one for example said that you you can you actually have a wonderful mental exercise it can be very calming to watch towels dry in the dryer. I don't know if you have a front load dryer, but you know maybe next interview you could Anyway, always good to see you my friend. Thanks for doing this.
4: Always a pleasure, Ryan.
0: You got it. You can follow Supriya Devetti on Twitter. And of course, she's doing amazing things. Keep an eye out for her on on CBC's uh, Power in Politics and uh, doing a ton of great work as well uh, on a number of different fronts, including Ryerson University, sort of renowned for their journalism program. Uh, The team at Eden Landscaping, uh, I don't know, I think of probably of all of our partners, the team at Eden's got to be pretty darn excited about where the seasons are going right now because more and more of us are realizing that we can start emerging. We can start heading outside and enjoying our backyards and, and, and maybe even in small outdoor gatherings, starting to connect with some people under the rules and maybe in a brand new setup. So whether that's going to be a beautiful fitted stone patio, maybe a fire pit for the first time, an outdoor cooking station, maybe you're finally going to look after that retaining wall that's starting to sag and the neighbors are wondering what your plan is with that whole thing. Heck, maybe it's a swim spa because you've had to cancel your last two vacations and you got a little extra cash in your jeans. The team at Eden Landscaping's ready to help you design it, and build it at landscapeedmonton.ca. You can find them under the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. That's also where you'll find the team at Local Waste. They want to fight for your business and they love talking trash. They've been doing it for more than 25 years from the small mom and pa independently owned retail stores all the way up to the big hotels and malls and grocery stores. Local Waste wants to find a solution that fits you. You call them on a first name basis. Chris, Lauren, Mikkel, or you Look them up at localwaste.ca and find a solution that'll work for your business at Local Waste. I thought it might be a good opportunity, Sam, to, to dig a little deeper into the results of our question of the week. It was, I mean, it obviously was a while ago since uh, more than 750 of you completed the surveys uh, at ryanjesperson.com. Obviously, we did have our week off, and the team at Y Station it gave them some extra time to really dig in. And to put together what we call a top line report, which is some really interesting information. So before we show you anything on the screen and, and Sam, you'll have those graphics done up by the team at Y Station. We asked you about the impact that this pandemic has had on you and on the people around you, on your career, on your personal life, in your relationships. And it was interesting because we saw some some uplifting feedback and and sometimes heartbreaking as well. And the team at Y Station put together almost an extra full page, actually almost two pages of extra commentary. And this is where we really glean insight into how you're feeling. You can click on agree or disagree or yes or no, but sometimes when you put it into your own words, it really means a lot. So we feel that, you know, based on these results, that COVID is, is about a cumulative impact, maybe not as much a direct impact. Right. So direct impact, meaning contracted COVID, lost a loved one to COVID or lost your job. Uh, We saw more uh, difficulty from you indicated with the realization that no matter consequences, a lot of people just simply don't listen to decided science. And it was also interesting, as we pointed out with Sapria just a few moments ago, to see how many of you believed in the importance of of lockdown measures. So let's take a look at some of the key findings, Sam. These are are provided to us. I mean, obviously, they're your answers, Real Talkers. But the team at Y Station, 92% of audience members say that some aspect of their life is permanently changed, permanently changed, more than 9 in 10 As a result of COVID-19, I thought that that was pretty interesting. Let's take a look at another sort of this is the 10,000 foot view here. Another one. Other countries were better prepared than us. Twenty seven percent. Just over one in four of you said, yeah, other countries were better prepared than us. Thirty seven percent. Almost four out of ten said, "Nah." Where Canada was either with the other countries, or, or you know, on par, or maybe even a little bit better than some other countries. I mean, these might be difficult things. I mean, this is all based on someone's gut feeling, right?
1: I guess I'd also just like to point out, like, what countries are you comparing us to? Sure. You know, like, are you like comparing that's, us to yeah, other G seven countries, the whole world writ large, other countries in North America? Like, it's just the this this system is it's taken different effects globally, all over the place that. Country comparisons just aren't apples to apples
0: anymore. They're 100%, just not. Hundred percent. Let's take a look at another key finding, and then we'll and then we'll get into some of the nitty gritty here, because there really is some interesting data that I think you're going to be interested in. Like like how many of you, for example, had a family member or close friend get sick? Thirty three percent. What about this though? Let's yeah. Let's get to this. Sam. This is a good one. Fifteen percent of listeners think that that lockdown measures have done more harm than good. Seventy five percent. Meantime, thought that lockdown measures have been net positive. Here's another thing. That I think we need to wrestle with. Uh, I think that you could argue effectively and convince most people that we have not yet participated in a really meaningful lockdown. I would agree. If you're going to call it a lockdown, uh, it would imply to me that that most of life most of regular life cease, you know is placed on pause
1: Yeah, and I think that the closest thing here certainly here in alberta, but just in in canada in general that we've had to a lockdown is is right when the pandemic started, right? When everything was just kind of screeched to a halt. Yep. And we all kind of just stayed home for the first month wondering what the next move was. Like, I think that's the closest we've ever been to lockdown. But when you look at countries that meaningfully, completely locked down, Australia...
0: Um, It's a completely different animal than what we're dealing with here. Yeah. Take a look at New Zealand, Australia. Let's look at these numbers. 33% of respondents had a family member or close friend get sick with COVID-19. That's significant. One out of three. Uh, 21%, more than one in five, lost a job or significantly lost hours or lost a business. One in five. How about this? On the happy side, 17% gained a new family member. And we, we counted animals in there too. So, Sam, you would qualify. I, I qualify on both the
1: lost a job and gained a family member. Yeah. Yes. I am in both of those buckets. And got a job. And got a job, yes. And then got a job. I know. Yeah. It's 16, been a weird year.
0: Yeah. 16% lost a family member. 16%. Um, 14% got a new job or started a new business. Both you and I would qualify there five percent lost a major relationship in their life five percent through divorce or estrangement five percent i wonder if the divorce impact here i don't even wonder i suspect that that it's safe to say that that number would increase as time goes on i think so um this is probably, speculation
1: it, it's speculation but i also think that like i mean uh, forgive me i don't know if we've necessarily completely qualified what a meaningful relationship is but like i've I I have two people that I used to consider friends that don't talk to me anymore. Because you're working with me? Yeah, that's exactly no. Because <laughs> uh, because early in the pandemic, I I called them out on on kind of taking COVID a little bit too lightly, and they just shut me out of their life. And that's it. And that was it. Huh. And it was a little heartbreaking. I gotta yeah, say. Yeah. Yeah. No, lied. that
0: sucks. That sucks. I've yeah. lost friends over dumb things before. Maybe today is the day when we all reach back out and reestablish <laughs> contact. When we asked you who you think has shown the right type of leadership over the last year, look at this. Look what you told us. Ninety three percent of you said that frontline healthcare workers have shown the right kind of leadership. Ninety three percent. Seventy five percent of you believe that frontline service and retail workers have shown leadership, which is still an overwhelming majority federally elected officials get a 65% approval rating of sorts from our audience. 57% of municipally elected officials, in other words, 57% of the audience said that they've seen the right kind of leadership from municipally elected officials. I'm just going to show you this. I mean, this is unbelievable. When it comes to provincially elected officials, so federally elected officials get 65%. Municipally elected officials get 57%. Provincially elected officials get three percent, three percent of respondents said that they believe that provincially elected officials have shown the right kind of leadership in the last year. That's unbelievable. Dr. Dina Hinshaw, uh, tough marks from you. Real talkers, 34 percent say that the chief public health officer, although some may as well be applying that to Dr. Teresa Tam, to be fair. And private companies facing shutdowns saw 18% support. So that's kind of an interesting one. When we asked what has been the most surprising element of COVID-19 for you, 43%, which is the highest number here, 43% said the ability for people to ignore public health advice despite widespread consistent warnings. 30% of you were surprised at the speed at which the vaccine has been developed and deployed. 18% of you were surprised at how significantly COVID-19 seemed to affect so many different elements of our lives. I think for the most part, you could argue that there is no, I mean, maybe with exception, but there's no, there's virtually no element of life left untouched or unimpacted in some way, shape or form. Oh, yeah, I would agree with that. Let's read what real talkers had to say. These are the comments. I mean, these are let me just read some of these out to you. Uh, How will COVID-19 permanently change certain aspects of our lives? Uh, More scrutiny about people coming into work sick, uh, seeing masks as more commonplace, which I think is intuitive here. More flexibility to work from home. A greater look into economic ideas like universal basic incomes. uh, A realization that moving away from medical manufacturing in Canada was a bad idea. You might want to call that pharmaceutical sovereignty <laughs> Or or research research sovereignty research security yeah. Let, Let's use the same phrases that we use for finances and energy. no that's
1: fair It's just it's one of those things I didn't I didn't I didn't, uh, I didn't put those those terms together yeah. in my brain yet Yeah
0: a uh, listener says my, my entire perspective on supporting local has changed I'll be way more conscious to do so moving forward I feel the same way I felt strongly about supporting local before I am passionate about it now Yeah Listener says, as a retired senior who's traveled extensively in the last five years, I resent having lost an entire year. I resent that my surgery scheduled for April 2020 was rescheduled to 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 this month. I resent that I've had no contact with my three and five year old grandkids except FaceTime. But all of this a new reality. Another said entitlement to unburdened mingling has been removed. Caution will now be ever present. We used to joke about close talkers. Mm -hmm. Close talkers are not a joke anymore. Close talkers are a liability, right? Chris Henderson, who's the chief strategist at Y Station, put his own notes onto this. He said this next comment showed up in various permutations so many times. In a sentence, what has been the most difficult part of COVID-19 for you? So many people said loneliness and isolation. Chris says that easily 20% of responses were not seeing family has been excruciating. The lack of consistent leadership at government levels, having our kids at home during work hours. How about this from a parent watching my boys struggle? They have incredible difficulty staying engaged and focused, says. Also, my wife is a high intensity fitness instructor, and that's been a nightmare with rolling restrictions, inadequate government communication and confusing closures. Another says I'm worried about friendships and other relationships just ending or fizzling out or being very different. In a sentence, we asked you, please tell us the most dramatic way that the last year has changed you as a person. One says it forced me to reevaluate myself. I have lost over 100 pounds and quit smoking. Wow. Wow. Let me let me join you in that. So that is that is incredible. Well well done. A 100 pounds down and quit smoking Another says i've realized what's important to me how I want to spend my time (laughs) I love this listener says i've become fundamentally more happy. I have social anxiety not having to see people has been amazing That's maybe an under discussed perspective. There are a lot of people That are probably so relieved that they're not required to be at fundraisers and galas and cocktail parties and AGMs
1: Yeah, I, I the funny thing is, is is like, you know me. I'm, I'm like you. I'm a super extrovert I like being around people. I like the energy. I like that kind of stuff I empathize and can absolutely see the value in the pandemic learning to say no to things That is that is a thing that probably very personally to me I found myself just way more comfortable to having just a little bit more personal agency over what I want to do, you know, not totally not feeling like you have to be involved in everything.
0: I want to read some more of these. These are amazing. I'm so I'm so like I profess my love to you. Real talkers every single day, and I mean it because you take the time you, you wear your hearts on your sleeve and you you send these comments into a show so we can put them out for public consumption. I so appreciate it, you know, in a sense, again, to remind you the question that these folks are answering. Tell us the most dramatic way. That the last year has changed you as a person I love this a parent says the profound gratitude The time I've had to spend with my teenage boys. That's amazing another says I've loved seeing dogs in online meetings Yes, we love when interviews and are, online interviews and absolutely. online interviews. We welcome dogs and cats and we haven't really had a Lot of outside of that. We would welcome iguanas um, we you have to get, get a guinea pig in there. Could do a guinea pig, we get a rabbit. We could get a, a chinchilla.
1: A, ooh, a chinchilla. It's just fun to say. Yeah, I know some people with hedgehogs. That'd be fun. I have. There's
0: a family. I shouldn't even. I shouldn't even. Nah. Well, yeah. There are some folks that live relatively close to us, and they have some sort. of They have like exotic birds. Ooh. In, well, yeah. Except for they are loud, <laughs> and I wonder. I mean, I I love walking <laughs> past their house because it's I can pick and choose when I walk past their house. And I close my eyes. And if the sun hits my face, I feel like I'm in Costa Rica for a while. I wonder about living next door to those people, though. I wonder about living next door to them. How about this? Uh, Listener says, uh, I've gained a new understanding of all of the holes in our social safety net that should protect our most vulnerable. The selfishness of people to put themselves before the community, the rampant willingness to ignore science, to justify individual actions was quite eye opening. Another says I'm finding myself and my place in the world in a way that I didn't or couldn't before. Wow. Another says it's been an awakening, reminding me how lucky I am to live in Canada, how appreciative I am of my relatively cushy lifestyle. How about this? A listener says, you know, the biggest or the most dramatic way the years changed me, seeing that healthcare and governments can quickly and easily respond to an epidemic and that their lack of response To the drug poisoning death crisis in other words the opioid epidemic is based on discrimination Or the government's interest in keeping people who use or you might say disinterest in keeping people who use drugs alive There are parallel pandemics Uh, Yes and epidemics let me say
1: well yes and and I think well an epidemic affects a, a small population A pandemic affects everybody I would actually argue opioids is a pandemic sure it affects everybody. Yeah. Maybe if even if you're not in it. But I also agree. It's like the bar has been raised for government responding to like meaningful crisis. Like we know what they can do if they see something as a big enough emergency. So I absolutely believe in that idea as well.
0: How about this? Uh, this is a real life comment. This is real talk from Tracy on our live chat. Tracy's watching right now. It says keeping my mom safe while also Trying to celebrate what little time she has left has literally taken years from my own life that from Tracy. That's just the, much love to you Tracy and your family. We've got some positive reflections coming up in just a moment, but it's a different positive reflection. Say I decided to take it in a different direction. I got an email and, and from Westside Matt, it's coming up in a second and you, and you might you might say that that's not like a, a photo of the Aurora Borealis or that's not a puppy video. That's what this is supposed to be to get the week started off on the right foot. But I love it. The raw honesty from Westside, Matt, and and it's a positive reflection. He took the last week to reflect. So we're going to go in a bit of a different direction coming up in just a second. Let me remind you that the team at Westworld Computers has been meeting their customers in the middle, has been finding you and working with you wherever your finances are at to be able to bolster your tech offerings So whether it's a big iMac desk unit, you need an iPad for the kids. Maybe it's a new Apple watch or maybe something gently used like an iPhone. You don't need the newest one. You just need one that doesn't have the screen cracked in 11 places that can actually run the new apps that all the kids are talking about. Daryl and the team at Westworld have the new lineup from Apple and the gently used software reloaded, warranty reapplied, and they can work with you across the budgetary spectrum at Westworld computers, proudly family owned for more than four decades the team at alta moving in storage know that this is the time of year that you may be considering making that move it's not minus 25 anymore and there are all the reasons in the world to capitalize on opportunity so if that's a move for you take the stress out of it move with these pod style containers that they have that's what they're known for it allows you to move at your own pace It, it, it takes all the all the sort of like time crunch out of it we all know what we're talking about there plus Long and short term storage solutions. You've got that upright piano you're not quite ready to give up on yet, but but it just doesn't fit the space. They can help you find a way to store that at Alta Moving and Storage. And then there's the team at Kubi Energy. These guys are Tesla certified. They do all their installations in BC and Alberta with certified electricians or electrical apprentices. You know the job's going to be done right. They do commercial, residential, big into industrial. And they do all the paperwork, too, to take the guesswork. You make sure you're not missing out on any sort of bursary or rebate. Kubi Energy's got you covered there. You can find everything they do at kubienergy.ca. Each and every Monday, the team at Kubi Energy also presents a little something we call Positive Reflections. So on the average week positive reflections will be puppy you know videos or photos of flowers or or stories of people paying it forward but we got this email from west side matt on the friday of our week off he took the week to reflect himself and and while this is maybe not inherently positive it's moving in a good direction and i think that a lot of you might be on the same page as matt i know to a certain degree i am i thought it was a perfect fit for this segment He says we're so glad to have had the opportunity to enjoy a week away from the show to recharge in a week with no real talk i was left to conventional media and i did some self-reflecting he says i came to the realization that i'm tired and i have a sense of apathy over current events and states of affairs i'm honestly i'm tired of covid talk it's taken over our lives i'm not dismissing it it's very much real and has real consequences people have died and lives have been changed but I'm tired of hearing about it every day. The vaccine or people complaining about restrictions or or the lack of restrictions, enough. Just let me know when I can book my shot and when I can have people back inside my home, says Matt, that's all I care about. I'm sick and tired of politics, federal, provincial. As a small C conservative, I don't have faith that Aaron O'Toole has the ability to rein in extremists. Climate change is real. I also feel that Justin Trudeau only has the Laurentian Valley in mind with his policies. With the exception of TMX, I don't feel like Alberta's benefited from this government. And what's going on with Jason Kenney? The old Wild Rosers are controlling this party and pulling the strings and and all of his policies are for show and pandering to the grassroots base. It's not what's good for us or our image. Alberta's reputation has been negatively affected. To be honest, I was excited about the war room when it was announced, but it's embarrassing us. I thought it was going to promote the benefits of ethical oil and gas, not attack cartoons. I supported our fight against the carbon tax. I believe it's provincial jurisdiction. I believe Ottawa has its hand in our pockets, but times are changing and and maybe Rachel Notley had it right the first time. But like the strong social conservatives within the UCP, the NDP has its own grassroots that scare me too. So I can't vote for them. I'm sick and tired of working from home. I want to see my coworkers. I'm sick and tired of the never-ending news cycle. I'm sick and tired, but nobody seems to care about the federal government scandals, but they're gonna win the next election. I'm sick and tired of Alberta's policies. Alberta needs promotion, not bashing. Let's take the dramatization out of the news. Let's take the us versus them mentality out of politics. Let's get real, says Westside Matt. He says, I needed to express my feelings with others who may feel the same. And I have found a home with the Real Talk community. So thank you for the platform, not from West Side Matt. And as far as I'm concerned, Real Talk, introspection, reflection is all positive in these books. Positive Reflections brought to you by Kubi Energy. We're back at it tomorrow live at 8.30 Mountain Time. Tell your friends, share the podcast, and we'll see you soon.